Welcome everybody to Monday Night Live. Uh, my name is Derek Arden and I'm absolutely delighted to have Janice Litvin with me from Walnut Creek, San Francisco. I cannot believe how nice Walnut Creek sounds compared with Bertham in Guildford compared where I am now. Uh, I'm going to introduce Janice formally because it's very important to get the information over. Janice is on a mission to help leaders and teams banish burnout in their organizations, a very topical subject at the moment. So their employees can come to work healthy and happy and ready to work. She does this through keynote speeches, workshops and accountability groups. Janice's best-selling book, Banish Burnout Toolkit, which I've got with me here, uh, helps teams learn how to manage stress to prevent burnout. The result, long-lasting behavioral change and of course, much better productivity and efficiency for the firms that uh, they work for. What makes Janice unique is her 20 years of technology recruiting, 10 years in IT, studying psychology and experiencing changing in her own behavior. You're also, um, uh, you're also um, a lecturer at a university, I think it's called Rutgers University um, in um, New Jersey, which is a long way away from San Francisco. So that's certainly, uh, certainly, uh, fooled me. Janice's book, Banish Burnout Toolkit, I ordered on Amazon last week, and you can see how many pages I've turned down that I want to ask Janice about. Janice, welcome. Thanks for joining us. And what floats your boat, as we say in the UK? What made you pursue banishing burnout as a subject? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and to see everyone here, especially Tim Durkin and my schooler family and everyone else. What inspired me to write this book is I was doing workplace wellness work, which primarily at the beginning focused on fitness and healthy eating and a little bit about stress. And then a client called a few years ago and said, we want you to do a program on stress, but we don't want the typical mindfulness. We can, we can get that. There are a thousand and one mindfulness masters or semi-masters, but we want you to go deep. And I said, I don't know if you realize how deep I can go. I'm not sure how deep you want me to go, but I'll go as deep as I can. And so I, based on my own research into something called cognitive behavior therapy, I put together this program and I had already been studying and researching this subject. And so I had three weeks notice and my husband went into surgery, not emergency, but urgent surgery the day before. So uh, that was quite a whirlwind experience. And I did my first Banish Burnout program. Fantastic. Now I picked out a few issues in the book that I thought uh, the listeners and uh, viewers would be really interested in. And um, on page 15, you talk about cognitive distortions um, around emotional baggage. Um, can you throw some light on that for us? Well, have you ever been in a situation where you're speaking to someone, whether it's at work or at home, and suddenly they have this huge negative overreaction to a certain situation and you begin to see a pattern with that typical situation that's called a cognitive distortion. Whenever somebody reacts out of character for them, that's a cognitive dis distortion. And there's a picture of a part of the brain in the book, the amygdala, 
Um, where does that fit in? Well, the amygdala is the part of the brain that focuses on the fight, flight, or freeze, which clearly has a place. For example, if you're a parent of a toddler, and you know, for those of you who have parented or grandparented toddlers, you know how fast they can run. Suddenly you're coming to a street corner and your heart rate is elevating because they don't look like they're going to stop and there is some traffic. And so you suddenly become a high-paced runner and you're running in the street to grab them before they get hit by a car. That comes from the amygdala, the fight, flight, or freeze part of the brain. The problem is when we get highly stressed, the same part of the brain is involved. We get uh, the stress hormone cortisol level goes up, we, our heart rate goes up, and a lot of other possible physiological reactions occur. And that's something that we don't wanna live in eight hours a day, five days a week. So moving on in the uh, book and picking out a few other things, on page 45, you talk about NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. What's that? That's a fancy way of saying move more. So what I mean by that is you can get more steps in and more fitness in without formal exercise. You can park farther from the front of the restaurant, you can take the stairs when you go some, to a building rather than the elevator or a few of the stairs, a few more stairs. If you live in a high rise, you could take maybe one flight of stairs. And it's just about moving more throughout the day. Gardening counts, laundry counts. When I clean the house, I purposely am inefficient, meaning I don't gather everything up and then take it to the back. I go back and forth because that's a little trick I have for getting more steps in. Okay, and um, also I want to just talk about there about uh, sleep and stress, but what does thermogenesis mean anyway? What does that word well, mean? I couldn't even I'm find it on, uh, on Google. Sure my older brother can answer the question. Thermo has to do with heat, thermal. And Genesis has to do with the creation, Genesis or genetics or the creation. So it's the creation of heat, because as you know, when you move, your body is creating heat. Okay, and um, sleep and stress. There's a lot of us that have lots of things buzzing around in our brain. Sometimes we have a couple of beers we shouldn't have had uh, in the evening, so we don't get quite the sleep. How important is that eight hour sleep? Well, uh, some experts believe minimum seven. I heard on a podcast last week that 10 is required, and I totally disagree. Most experts believe seven to eight hours. And the, pro the purpose, obviously, is for the body to reju rejuvenate and repair. And there's a lot of work that goes on during sleep, but it also impacts your mood. Have you ever noticed on a morning where you haven't had your normal amount of sleep that you just feel kind of out of sorts and cranky? That's because your body needs that sleep for the hormone, the, the rest hormones to be released. But some of our leaders uh, have survived on four hours sleep. I heard that uh, Margaret Thatcher, our uh, previous prime minister, only had four hours sleep. And I heard that uh, Barack Obama survived on four hours sleep. Uh, is that right? Well, that could, I, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a physiological expert, However, I believe it can be for a temporary 
period of time. So a president of the United States certainly gets woken up in the middle of the night often for different emergencies around the world. But after the four years or eight years in office, they're going to have to catch up on their sleep or they're going to have some other physiological ramifications, which could lead to a cardiac incident. Is that what President Trump's doing now down in um, down in uh, Largo Keys what it, or whatever it's called? Or perhaps you'd rather not answer that question as we're being recorded. I, well, I, I never hear from him and that's just fine. <laughs> oh, I, I heard that you were in his... Uh, in his auto dial. Is that clearly not true? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, you were talking about um, you were talking about hormones or drugs or whatever we want to call them, and you talk <laughs> about those on page forty nine. And I've always been fascinated by cortisol, serotonin, endorphins, melatonin. Can you walk us through that? Because I think that'd be very interesting for the people well, listening to this. Well, you've just brought up three, two or three topics. So melatonin is the hormone of sleep and melatonin is released in the evening and cortisol is released in the morning. That's why we're sleepy at night and awake in the morning. And the sun has a huge part to play in that cycle, which is why scientists recommend that you sleep at night. Then you also brought up endorphins. That's a happiness chemical, which many people have heard you get released when you exercise. There are four in general, four happiness chemicals. And I remember them from the acronym DOSE, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And anytime you find a moment of happiness, and this is kind of a new bandwagon I'm on called Find Your Happy, there are ways to find little sparkly moments of happiness throughout the day. For example, the brain loves a completion. So if you complete a big hard project like writing a resume, writing a speech, writing a proposal, finishing your budget, finishing your taxes, cleaning out the garage, whatever it is, the brain loves that. Have you ever noticed how good you feel after you've cleaned out your closet or cleaned out the garage? Spend a little more time feeling those good feelings and extending those moments of happiness so that you can be happier throughout the day. Okay, and uh, serotonin is one of those. Is that the one? Is that the one where you set a goal and you complete the goal and you get a good dose of uh, serotonin? I believe so. And another one that I love is the social connector. It's very, very important, especially through COVID. And now we're not exactly hunkered down like we were, but we are beginning to be restricted again. It's really, really, really important to connect with friends or family members that you really feel close to because happiness chemicals also get released at that time. The other one I love to talk about is volunteer work because have you ever noticed when you've gone to volunteer in a senior center or a children's center, how good you feel after the experience, especially if you've had a wonderful social connection. So I like to encourage people to do when possible as much uh, socially based volunteer work as possible. Cortisol. Now you said cortisol is the one that wakes us up in the morning, but I heard that right. cortisol is the bad one, the one we want to get rid of, we want to get out of our system. But I have now, read two <laughs> views on that, so I'd be very interested in your view. Well, cortisol is the stress hormone, but it has its place. Like the example I told earlier of running after a child. So cortisol has its place. By the way, you probably know, some of you know who go to the theater, that every time 
most, and I've heard many interviews like this, many times when an actor is about to go on stage, they do have a bout of cortisol. They have butterflies in their stomach or some kind of even fear that they put out a, a good performance, that they remember their lines, that they're connected with the other actors, that they remember where they're supposed to go. It's the same thing with speakers. We get scared right before a big presentation and, and we get those huge butterflies in our stomach. That's cortisol. So it can serve you, it gives you energy. Oh, wow. No, absolutely. I, I definitely get that. I said to myself, why am I, I can't understand why I'm doing this crazy yes. job. I thought that was testosterone though. See, I'm totally confused, but, uh, <laughs> but you're straightening a few things out for me. Or Don't retire. They say that men who retire earlier do begin to lose testosterone. So Derek, don't retire. <laughs> okay, well, I'm a bit, I've got a bit nervous about going skiing, Janice, in the last two or three years. So that is <laughs> a bit, um, that is a bit worrying. But uh, doing this and getting nervous about interviewing people like you has really made a, made a great difference. Okay, thank you. Um, now, in the UK, we get pretty dreary weather in the winter yes. and I know you get a bit of that in San Francisco as well uh, which surprised me I thought America the sunshine shone all the time but um, how do we get around that in fact we don't really get any daylight till about nine o'clock in the morning and it gets dark at about 3 30 for two or three months um how do we well get it's around that? yes so that's called seasonal affective disorder I think they named it sad because you do get sad and people in the northern states like Chicago Minnesota, Wisconsin, some of those states do get a lot of terrible weather. And I remember several years ago, a friend of mine from college that my family knows told me, oh, the winter's coming. It's time for me to up my prescription of antidepressives. I said, why don't you up your prescription of vitamin D? Because that's what's missing. The moment you get out into the sunshine, when the sun hits your skin, vitamin D is released. And that's where all those happiness chemicals and connections in the brain start to fire when you have those moments in the sun. So why not take extra vitamin D in the winter? Sure, sure, okay. Because um, getting just getting out in the daylight and taking some exercise must be, must be uh, good for you. Um, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I had another idea I wanted to share. So I recently reread a book by Scott Halford, a friend of ours from National Speakers Association, who wrote a book called Activate the Brain. And he said, when you're getting ready to go on vacation, and that you reminded me of this about the winter, if you put a picture of your destination on your bulletin board or your airline tickets or a picture of the people you're going to see either on your refrigerator or on your bulletin board, that will actually spark some happiness chemicals because you're so excited and looking forward to that trip. And you made me think about that in relation to sad. If you put a lot of bright, sunny pictures around your environment and always try to sit near a window, that can help as well. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Now, moving through your book, page 51. Page 51, you talk about morning pages. Um, Julia Cameron and also Daniel Pink, the author of a number of books, uh, a couple of which I've got. I've tried this in the last three days, actually. And so uh, tell people about it. I'm not convinced, but I'm getting convinced. So tell me about it. Morning pages has to do with connecting to yourself in the morning. If you're the kind of person that wakes up 
and you drag around because you're slow in the morning like I am, and you have to drink two cups of coffee, and it takes a while to get going. Julia Cameron believes that if you commit to writing just three pages, you often will write even more pages. And it's a way to connect with yourself in the morning. Some people pray, some people meditate, some people do morning pages. It's a way to set yourself up for a mentally clean day, so to speak. So if there are things bothering you from the day before, that's a good time to get them out on paper. Because as you know, stress eats us up from the inside out. And what we all need is a way to get that stress out. That's what Morning Pages does. So that's a way of downloading. Yes. And is, it, is it a bit like, I call it auto writing, and I know Amy Rowlandson calls it something else, but is that is that the same similar thing? And we'll bring Amy in later. Uh, I believe so, based on what you're telling me, I do believe it's very similar. Okay, just kind of brain dumping anything that comes into your head onto a piece of paper, but perhaps keeping it private because you might write some crazy stuff down there and they might come along and uh, try and lock you up. I think they would. Well, here's, here's another point to that. And it also I also talk about it in my first chapter, talking about the stress audit. While you're writing with pen and paper, by the way, because it activates a different part of the brain, while you're writing the amygdala that you so aptly talked about earlier, is dumping. It's where you're you're getting all those emotions out and all emotions are valid emotions. And that's a good place to get everything out. When you go back and reread what you wrote, that's when the prefrontal cortex, the executive functioning rational part of the brain gets energized. And that's where you can go back and make more sense out of what's happened. If you do feel wronged, that's where you can begin to think about what you can do to contribute to improve a relationship. Daniel Pink says, um, you don't know what you think until you write. Um, that's a bit weird. Uh, no, I'll give you a perfect example and my family will connect to this story as well. When my father was ill in the hospital on his last legs, I was very anxious to get home to Houston where I'm from, where my family lives. And I got sick. And so I was very, very frustrated. And I went to the doctor and I said, I need an antibiotic. And those were the days they were, when the doctors were beginning to cut back on antibiotics. I said, my father's in the hospital. I need to go home. I'm sick. I need an antibiotic. She said, you just have allergies. You'll be fine. And tears started rolling down my cheeks. And I got really, really angry and I said, my, and then I came right out very bluntly. I said, my father is dying. I have just a week or two to get home. I want an antibiotic. And she gave me the antibiotic. So fast forward years and years later now, it's been 20 years and a friend came over a few months ago and I had a little tiny flu, a little cold. And she said, oh, you have allergies? And I went crazy. And I snapped at her. And then I thought to myself, that was a little harsh. I went in my room. I actually went in the room. She's a friend of my husband's. So I excused myself, went in my room and started writing. And I didn't realize I was still holding on to this anger towards the doctor. And so that anger towards the doctor came out in the present day. That's why it's important to get things out. Now that I'm aware of that, if she ever says, oh, do you have allergies again? I won't have such an extreme reaction because I will know I do have an emotional connection to that comment. Mm. 
in, in NLP terms, that's a trigger uh, to that anchor, which is uh, sunk into your brain from that emotional experience, isn't it? So that's, uh, that's a great. Well, sadly, it is my opinion, and Tim Durkin may be able to help me out here. I don't have the stats, but it is my contention that most people come to work with loads and loads and loads of emotional baggage. And different things happen when we're at work, different kinds of change happen that's disturbing or different difficult relationships happen. And the emotional baggage from the past often informs our thoughts and our feelings and our behavior in the workplace. Okay, we're getting that number of questions in the chat box, which we'll come to in a minute. Anybody else that wants to put a short, sharp, specific question in the chat box, please do that. Now, page 53, you talk about saying no. And last week we talked about uh, don't to-do lists, which I can't even get my tongue around. And I, I was thinking about that. My to-do list is very long, but I don't know what to cross off, but I must get round to that. Um, what is the power of saying no? Oh my goodness. Again, my brother, I have to call on my brother to uh, reminisce with me. We were not brought up to say no to our parents. We didn't know how to say no to anybody. Sadly, my mother, and again, all my family members on the call will know this. My mother never said no to people. She was not allowed to say no. She was never taught. So she would say yes to things and then complain and feel resentful that she had to do whatever this little thing was. It could be a big thing or a little thing. I remember one, this is silly, but it, it expresses the point. I remember one time she was invited to a dinner and the person hosting the dinner was doling out jobs and they assigned her via email to make soup. She was already older. And she said, I can't make the soup. I can't believe they asked me to make soup. That's too hard for me. I said, mother, send her a nice email and say, I'm so excited to be invited to this dinner. I'm not able to make the soup. However, what I will make is a beautiful broccoli dish or whatever it is. And she said, oh no, I can't do that. She was never taught. And hence we were never taught. Years later, after going through Jungian therapy, I realized that saying no is the only way to save your life. It's the only way to communicate what you need to communicate. So you live a clean emotional life. We were talking last week, weren't we, about how you negotiate with your boss to say no. And that, um, in fact, I think you said to me that um, women find that more difficult than men. Was that what you said? Uh, well, you probably said it, but I agreed with that. But there, you, you're bringing up two issues. Saying no at work is tricky. Of course, you're not going to say, no, I don't have time to do whatever it is your boss is asking you to do. But some bosses are not as good at project management as others. So it's important to communicate what the status of your jobs is. So saying no to a boss might be as simple as, I have these 10 piles of work that I'm working on. Yes, I'm excited to work on this exciting new project you're bringing to me and we are going to need to adjust deadlines or offload some of this other work or put some on the back burner if you want me to attack this new project today. So it's, it's really about giving a status update. Last question before I um, throw it open uh, to the uh, questions in the chat box. You talk in your book about a woman called Neen James and uh, you quote her and it, you say, you only have time to do what matters. That's been rolling around in my brain, actually, uh, this week. Uh, can you expand on that? 
For those who don't know, I, I assume Tim knows her. Neen James is a wonderful professional speaker based in Tampa, Florida. I had the good fortune to see her speak at the Minnesota Sherm a couple of years ago, right before COVID, when I did a breakout and she did a keynote. And what Neen talks about is her book is called Attention Pays. So you said earlier you have a long list of items for your to-do list. Well, I'm guessing there's a priority. I'm guessing that three of those items are really hot and need to really be addressed today. And the other five or six or 10 don't have to be done today. And so what Neen is talking about is prioritizing what's really, really important. And other experts say you shouldn't have more than three to five items on your power list a day. But you know, you, you just have to prioritize. And that seems to be what it's all about, whether it's time management or personal management, et cetera, or even as uh, Mike Pagan would say, uh, who's just joined the call, uh, your uh, mastermind group that helps you through that or your coach, your mentor or whatever, because we are all probably as bad as each other about our own, uh, our own self-discipline. I'll add one more little mini technique that is very powerful. And that is someone comes to you say a coworker or a family member and they want help with something or they want you to do something right now. It's okay to say, I'm, yes, I'm willing to help you. I'm happy to help you. I'm excited to help you. I can do it Thursday at three or I can do it tonight at six. I can't do it now. So that's another, you're not really saying no, but you're reworking the schedule to fit within your scheduling needs. And nice people don't like doing that, do they? That's the that's the real that's the real issue. And do you uh, do you coach them with role plays on your um, on your workshops? Well, that's funny. I'm so happy you brought that up. Normally, my workshops are sixty to ninety minutes. I was recently invited to do a six hour workshop, and that's exactly the first thing I thought of. We're going to do a lot of fun role plays. We're going to take on different characters. We're going to have people reverse roles. And we're going to even do some improv games so people can learn a little bit more about how to manage their language at work. I imagine people get very stressed. Uh, people who are a little bit timid or a little bit blue in color or whatever, we, however you want to describe it, get pretty wound up and stressed about, uh, about saying no. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But saying yes and then feeling resentful hurts you. It doesn't hurt anybody else. One of the most difficult things in banking, which one or two of us were in, was uh, saying no to the client who had this uh, fantastic idea and really thought uh, that we were going to help them and letting them down, um, letting them down gently. They usually complain to the chairman about me in, in the end, but uh, we had to take it on the chin at, uh, at that point. Janice, I'm just going to look in the chat box now and see what we've got in there. And um, any other questions put in the chat box before we close the uh, we close the recorded session. Thanks. Uh, David Skinner said Mark Twain lived in Portsmouth Road, uh, Guildford. Uh, Eva says bring your kids Lego pieces up the stairs one by one. Eva, I'm not quite sure what that means. So you perhaps. Oh, you... and that had to do with NEAT. That had to do with non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Oh, OK, Janice. Well, well picked up there. Um, um, apparently there's a genetic mutation, a rare one that allows someone to get by with four to six hours of sleep. Uh, Paul mentions that Margaret Thatcher did suffer from dementia some years after <laughs> she left politics. I did wonder if that was a problem with not getting enough sleep. Um, 
I had read a story about uh, Margaret Thatcher. She didn't actually read the European Union um, agreement, and that was very unusual for her, even though her secretary mm. used to be in the room next to her. And very often they'd be working together at two or three o'clock in the morning and she'd be sitting in bed, which is what uh, Winston Churchill used to do as well. So that's uh, that's interesting. Nigel Kirby says, I remember my grandparents and uncle's house being having blackout blinds to block out the effects of the midnight sun. I don't know where Nigel lived. He probably lived in Tromso up in Norway or something. I think he did tell me that in the north of Norway, he says. Yeah, as you don't feel tired due to the perpetual sunlight you can tell us what you do in the winter then Nigel because there's about two hours of daylight I can't imagine being up there Janice is it true that casinos in Las Vegas that have no windows no clocks and pump oxygen in to stop people feeling tired no but when you were talking about Nigel I just uh, remembered because I was in Vegas for a conference recently they do have blackout shades in Vegas so that you can stay up all night gambling and sleep during the day. And Lauren, my niece, Lauren, loves to go to Vegas. She can reiterate that. And if Elvira says some charities invite corporate teams to volunteer, also work as a team building exercise. Um, yes. And uh, some have done that uh, since COVID restrictions relax. I don't know if that's uh, something to do with the NHS as well. Mike Pagan says, I always practice my own version of morning pages by uh, doing a coffee with a couple of pals of mine. He's absolutely right. And I'm looking forward to him joining me one morning. And uh, Jill says she saw an abstract of a scientific paper recently. Coffee before breakfast has, has been seen to contribute to the likelihood of diabetes and heart disease. I better ring the negativity bell on that one, Jill. Uh -oh. um, coffee after breakfast is apparently a lot uh, better. By the way, for those who haven't joined us before, anyone talks negatively on the uh, Monday, Monday night chat show, I ring, <laughs> I ring the bell. Um, so Janice, have you got one last thought for us on the recording and for the podcast that we can take away? And then I'll stop the recording. And if you stay on, that would be fantastic. Sure. The, as I alluded to earlier, the biggest value of all my work, my workshops and my book is that stress happens. It could be loss of a job, loss of a sadly loss of a friend or family member, or it could be living with a teenager. Whatever the issues are, stress happens and we take it all in and we need a way to get it out. And that's what my book, which is actually a workbook, that's what it provides. And I've really enjoyed your workbook and I'm going to um, I'm going to go through it again and we're going to have you back on the show at some stage. If you will join us, yeah. that would be great. And uh, I was talking to um, three people this morning and we were told one of them had lost his son um, a few years ago. And a couple of the other people, two of them are on the on the show now help uh, with stress and trauma, etc. Does the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model of grief, does that fit in to stress as well? Well, yes and no. It's My work is mostly focused on workplace stress. But yes, the five phases of grieving are very, very important. Again, what she's doing is helping people experience their grief and not sweeping it under the carpet. So joining a grief group or whatever you need to do, especially from a tragic loss, is really important. Again, it's about getting your emotions out and sharing with other people the memories of that loved one. 
And that also includes losing your job and being made redundant and um, issues like that as well. Absolutely. Yes. Well, the thing about losing a job is, is first of all, to get over the grief, uh, especially if you were fired. And believe me, I was fired from a few jobs over my life. But in terms of a job, you can then take action steps, getting the resume done, seeking advice from a career counselor, applying for jobs, etc. Janice Living, thank you so much for joining Monday Night Live. It's been an absolute delight and pleasure. Thanks for getting up early in uh, Walnut Creek, San Francisco. Can I ask everybody to give Janice the usual round of applause from uh, thank you. Monday, Monday Night Live? Uh, thank you so uh, much. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, will you come back and join us uh, in a few months? Abs time? I'll come back every week. Derek, you're so supportive of me. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Uh, thanks very much indeed, Janice. If you're watching this on uh, on YouTube or on uh, the Negotiators podcast, please pass it on to your friends. Please, uh, please like it and uh, please comment on it. And I look forward to seeing you on, on all Monday Night Lives. This is Derek Arden. Thank you very much. And thank you, Janice Lippman.